Welcome to Making Action Happen with Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain. We're here to discuss public policy issues in our home state of Colorado and beyond. Making Action Happen is presented by Action 22. Find out about our organization at action22.org. Now, here are your hosts, Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Making Action Happen. I'm Sarah Blackhurst. And I'm Brian McCain. And we have got uh, Dan Healy with us here today. He is the uh, president and CEO of Colorado Oil and Gas Association. COGA. Koga. That's easier to say. Uh, it is easier to say. Um, but uh, I think there's going to be a lot of people interested in, in what you're talking about today. We are, of course, in the middle of the legislative session. It's rough as we anticipated it would be. There's a lot of game playing happening, of course, because it is the um, it's a presidential year, a presidential campaign year. And so everybody's, there's a lot of posturing that always goes on during that, uh, during that time. We don't like it. Um, but, uh, we know that it's, it's happening and we know that it's coming. And I think part of the reason that we don't like it and we don't, um, you know, we sort of gird our loins for this is because it is, uh, it always seems to be wildly impactful, um, and not always in a positive way. So we, I wanted to have Dan come in and talk to us about a couple things. Dan sent out a, an email at Action um, Alert uh, to a lot of his colleagues the other day over a bill. And so I, I just want to dive in. Dan, will you give us a little bit of history for anybody who um, is just kind of new to paying attention to this about COGA, about you, and um, what you're trying to accomplish here in Colorado? Sure, absolutely. And thank you both for having me on today. I really appreciate it. Um, as you pointed out, we're in the middle of the legislative session. I wish we were in the middle. We're still sort of in the beginning stages yeah. of it. It's a 120-day session, and they are uh, lo- very long 120 days. It's almost like the calendar back when you're in, in grade school, right? You can't wait for summertime. <laughs> that's that's how I feel when the legislature is in session. It's very long days uh, as they set about uh, solving all of our problems here in, in Colorado. Um, they have uh, really been on a, a regulation tear in, in recent years. They, they'll pass laws that require regulations, that require state agencies to approve you know, more laws. And so there has been a lot. It's been a very active legislature. Typically in election years, they kind of quiet down a little bit because there are, you know, half of more than half of them are up for election. Uh, they don't want to, you know, do anything that you know might run afoul of the 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 general populace, but not this legislature. They have their you know pedal to the metal and, and really moving forward with with lots of things. So, starting off talking a little bit about the oil and gas industry here in in Colorado, uh, this is a, remains an important industry to our state. We are the fourth largest crude oil producer in the country. And we're the eighth largest natural gas producer. So really a viable and important industry that we have here in in Colorado. The United States is the largest producer of crude oil and natural gas in the world. And I think, you know, when all of us were growing up, that was something that seemed impossible. You had Saudi Arabia and the Middle East, Russia producing this energy, and we just were not there. But because of technology, because of innovation in this country, we are now the leading a producer of this resource, which is important for lots of reasons, important for the environment, important from a geopolitical 
standpoint, energy security, and important for all the jobs and prosperity that this industry brings. So I set that as a, a way of, you know, starting the conversation to talk about where this is, what we're doing in Colorado is impactful. We're the fourth largest crude oil producer in the country that's producing the most crude oil in the world. And so if you were to eliminate that, you would not only cause massive job losses in our industry and other, in, you know, across the economy, which we can talk about, but you would really set our state back in terms of being only able to provide the energy that we need to survive and thrive in the future, but also what other states and countries might need as well. So uh, the reason we're, we're chatting is there's several bills that are targeting our industry this year. One of them, Senate Bill 159, is a ban on industry. It says by 2030, the state can, or by the end of 2029, essentially, the state can no longer issue oil and gas permits. And in the years leading up to 2029, they must curtail the number of permits that they're issuing. And then by 2032, no new oil and gas drilling in our state, which would obviously devastate our industry in, in Colorado, but also be very, very impactful in a negative way uh, Dan, to the state. before you go on, can we step back just a second? Would you tell us um, how we're ranked as far as regulations in the production of that, um, both crude and natural gas? Sure. No one really ranks uh, regulations. It's it's a kind of hard thing to to look at, but I wouldn't, I would challenge anybody to find a place on planet Earth that regulates oil and gas more than Colorado. We've had more than 30 rulemakings in the past several years in this state that look at every single aspect of our industry in Colorado. Everything we do is heavily regulated, has been under this regulatory microscope for years. And so I like to say that we're producing this resource cleaner, better, and safer than anywhere on the planet. Because of those regulations and because of the technology and innovation that our operators are pouring into uh, into Colorado to make sure that we're doing it right. But everything you can think about is has been regulated in Colorado. It really started in 2010. And then in 2019, the uh, Statehouse passed something called Senate Bill 181, which they said was going to be the most uh, the largest overhaul of oil and gas regulations in 60 years. That set into motion again. So they passed the laws, which then set into motion these rulemakings, more than a dozen rulemakings. By the way, the state still hasn't completed all of the 181 rulemakings five years later, and they continue to add more and more onto it. But that set into motion more than a dozen rulemakings that that really, as I said, looks at every single thing that we do to ensure that we're protecting the environment, our friends, neighbors, et cetera. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, it, I always wonder about that uh, when we see more, regula- more regulations and more regulations and then um, clearly what's happening now with uh, an attempt to stop production here. That doesn't mean it's going to stop production anywhere else. It just means they're not going to do it. Uh, that production is not going to be done as well as it is in Colorado. So we're really pushing this um, – lack of responsibility off onto somebody else, right? Yeah, it's it's kind of amazing when you think about it. We're punting our environmental issues to some other part of the planet. Mm-hmm. And we've been doing that historically for the last, you know, 10, 20, 30 years, if you really think about it. So to your point, Sarah, you're right. We're we're not going to stop using oil and natural gas. The federal government predicts we will be using more oil and natural gas in 2050 globally. The amount of natural gas that will be used will grow globally by 2050 because we're going to add 3 billion people to the planet. So we're going to continue to need this. But if we're not producing it here, we're going to have to get it from someplace else. 
I look at California as a perfect example of this. California has made it very inhospitable to develop oil and, and, and resources in their state. They have decreased the amount of production by 60%, but they have not decreased their consumption of oil. So Gavin Newsom, their governor, a Democrat, maybe running for president someday, has said he has conceded this is not an environmental solution. We are importing our oil from Saudi Arabia and Colombia, not an environmental solution. Those are his words. Half of the oil developed in the Amazon rainforest goes to California. Now, you could argue, why are we even developing oil in the Amazon rainforest when we have it here in Weld County, here in places in Adams County, in Arapahoe County, here in Colorado? Why are we in, in the Amazon rainforest? That's a different argument for a different day. But he is acknowledging this is not an environmental solution. We don't want to do that in Colorado. So what the activists are saying, too, is that we're, we produce more than we use in the state, so we need to stop producing. And I would argue that is the exact wrong way to look at this. This is not how the world works. So if we're producing this resource here in Colorado under these tough environmental standards, we should be trying to get this out to the rest of the world and not just, you know, keeping it here, here for ourselves. If we truly care about the environment, we want this resource produced in Colorado. And I think, you know, when it comes to oil and gas, that this is not only a national security issue based on um, the very calm world we live in around the, <laughs> the globe, right. but, but also economic. And one important thing that I love to bring up on the show, what is the economic impact on Colorado when it comes to oil and gas? So it's, it's pretty massive. Uh, this industry support, supports more than 300,000 jobs and provides over $30 billion in total labor income. This was in 2021, according to PricewaterhouseCoopers. So a you know, nationally renowned accounting firm looked at this. The same, same study found our industry supports more than $48 billion in economic activity, which is the equivalent of 11% of the state's economy. So again, this is an important industry that we should value and want in this state. And I'll go back to the jobs as well. Mm -hmm. These are important jobs in our state. Some of them, you can have a high school diploma and get employed in, in this industry and buy a house and buy a truck and raise your family and provide for your family and put food on the table. A lot of those jobs don't exist anymore in this state or in this country. We have, again, punted them to other parts of the world. And you can still, those jobs still exist in this industry. We need to protect, we need to protect all jobs, but especially those jobs. And to go back to sort of that idea of punting these issues, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about what happens across the economy. We've decided we don't want to manufacture things in this country anymore because of the environmental issues, because it's very difficult, it's expensive, because of the rules and regulations that go into place. So we've asked places like China, India to develop our stuff for us and ship it across the globe, right? We have a graphic that we use. There's an app called Windy, W-I-N-D-Y. I've probably talked to you guys about it before. You can go online on your desktop or on your phone and look at this, and it shows you real-time wind speeds, directions, and then you can put different filters on it, pollution, different things. So we put a CO filter on it, and a CO2 filter, and you can look and see interior west, there's not a lot going on. There's not a lot of people here, et cetera. Coastlines, it's a little darker. You have people, cars moving around, industry. Go over to Europe, darker still, burning a lot of coal. And then you go to China and India, and it's this big black splotch, right? We have punted our environmental issues over there. We've said, can you build our iPhone for us? Can you build this for us and then ship it across the country? I'm not defending them. I'm just acknowledging, right, that we've decided not to do things in this country. We've asked them to do it. And guess what happens? The wind blows. 
And all of those things come straight back into the United States. They come straight back into Colorado. So if we would just take a different approach on some of this and say, if we're going to do this, let's do it here, right? I'm, I don't advocate for lithium mining, but if we're going to lithium mine, maybe we should try to do it here under strict environmental standards instead of doing it in the Congo where children are paid a dollar a day to dig for lithium, which then goes through China and then comes back into the United States. So uh, it's kind of an extreme example, but it just goes to show you what we're doing here, right? And we can't be surprised when the wind blows and this stuff comes right back to Colorado. Yet at the state house, they're trying to manage for that, right? They're trying to get us to reduce that and not understanding that this is what's happening, right? That the wind is blowing and bringing things back into our state as we punt those environmental issues to someplace else. It's out of sight, out of mind, yet it's really not. Mm-hmm. Right. So great example is 159, Senate Bill 159, that you um, sent out a call to action on. Um, we, saw, of course, signed off, uh, signed on that to that with you. Um, but this is just this is just uh, the first shot across the bow. So tell us a little bit about that one. 159, sponsored by Senator Sonia Jaquez Lewis out of Lafayette, Boulder County, and Senator Kevin Priola uh, out of Brighton and Weld County. And it would, as I said, end permitting and oil and gas drilling uh, would have massive impacts on our industry if we're not able to develop here. I also think it sends a chilling message to every business across the state when you've got state legislators saying we're going to legislate out of existence an industry that we all need and rely on every single day. We just don't like it. And so we want to get rid of it. Um, and that the, they have the power to do something like that ought to, I think, scare everybody. And I think we appreciate Action 22 signing on to that letter. We had over 40 business groups across the state sign on to that letter almost immediately, which tells you just how, one, how impactful our industry is and how how people understand how uh, how much, how aggressive our state government is getting in terms of regulations and what they're doing to the economy, what they're doing to businesses. And all that filters down to working people. And I think that's what's so frustrating to me is that they look at this as this monolith. Well, we just need to take out oil and gas and not understand the people that come along with that, the employees that work in this industry, the employees that work in other industries because our industry exists. We're considered a primary employer in Colorado. So for every one job created in the oil field or the gas patch, one or two are created elsewhere in the economy, either because that job exists or to support that job. All those jobs go away if something like this were to pass. Now, I am confident that there will be enough reasonable Democrats who can stand up and defeat this bill in the legislature. But I will also say I'll believe it when I see it. So we're going to keep pushing and pushing and pushing until this goes away. And then that'll allow us to focus on these other bills that if a combination of them pass, it can have the exact same impact or effect of this particular bill. So this is sort of top of the list. There's a few others that we're concerned about. Uh, This has been assigned to the Senate Agriculture and Natural Resources Committee. So that's our focus right now. Um, it has not been set for, um, hasn't been calendared for when it will be heard, but we expect it could be heard uh, in the next couple weeks. So I'm going to go uh, a quick civics lesson to the side because um, it was interesting. The other day I was talking to uh, my brother-in-law who owns Sunborn at Centennial Airport. And there's, of course, you know that there's a, a bill that is being um, floated around a little bit um, I mean, it's been introduced, but one of the provisions of this bill would say that um, it would be a 50 cent per gallon on aviation fuel that's not that is leaded. 
Um, and so, I mean, you guys have this at every, at every turn and, and we see the sort of the attack at every turn on this. Um, and he said something to me and I, I didn't mean to laugh at him at the time. He goes, well, when they do the, um, the economic impact on this, um, they'll figure, they'll figure it out. And I just started laughing. I go, there's no, there is no economic impact. He goes, they don't require an economic impact on the bills that they introduce. And this is a very smart man who's been very involved in yeah. business for a very long time. And he was under the assumption that every bill in Colorado, we required an economic impact on it. And I said, no, not at all. It's exactly opposite. So for those of you who um, are trying to understand Colorado legislative process, a bill gets introduced, um, five bills per legislator and then uh, every year um, and then they can uh, leadership can decide if they want to allow more bills than that introduced it get, it's introduced on the floor and then it gets assigned to a committee and, and the committee decides whether to push it forward um, and wait, make whatever changes um, that's what the, they're they're signing off as the stakeholdering process um, is having it in committee nowadays. And then, uh, then we see what happens with that bill. So it's been sent to um, ag and natural resources. Um, who's on that committee? So uh, Senator Dylan Roberts is the chair of mm-hmm. the committee. Uh, as Senator Marchman is also on that committee, Senator Priola, the co-sponsor of the bill. Those are the Democrats that we're really looking at. Uh, we believe the Republicans will vote against this. So we're focusing on the Democrats uh, in that area. And you're exactly right, Sarah. That's a, a frustration, I think, for a lot of people in the business community is that lawmakers aren't forced or even even if they're not forced. They're why not wouldn't even encouraged. They look at the, why wouldn't they look at the implications that are going to happen, right, and what the economic impact would be? And they don't think about that. And the other thing that's frustrating for me is they don't. When they target just this one industry, for example, they don't think about the implications that happen elsewhere. And I talk about this a lot, but you think down southern Colorado, the Everaz steel mill Mm -hmm. there producing seamless steel pipe. A lot of that ends up in northern Colorado to produce oil and gas. If our industry goes out, that steel mill in Pueblo no longer has that customer in northern Colorado to receive that seamless steel pipe, making it much more difficult for them to exist, right? So you're targeting our industry, yet you're impacting Pueblo where there is no oil and natural gas. And they don't think through that, or if they do, then they're very devious. And maybe I'm giving them, not giving them enough credit. I don't think that they're thinking through all those impacts. They say, we don't like oil and gas. We want to get rid of it. And they don't understand the broader implications to the economy. Uh, during 112, Proposition 112, if you remember during mm-hmm. 2018, that was a 2,500 foot setback on industry, which would have been devastating. Um, and there was some economic data out there that looked at job losses. And I'm, I'm guessing here because I can't remember the exact data, but it was most of those jobs were not in our industry. Right. They were elsewhere in the economy. Right. And I think that's what people need to understand. It would shut down. Losses. It would shut down. Into, it would make ghost towns, honestly, of um, entire communities throughout Colorado. I remember that well. And it, it's happened before. I mean, anybody that's worked at the steel mill, the cycle of layoffs seemed to coincide with the cycle of regulations coming down. I think it was 2019, 2020, you saw that yeah. massive amount of people that basically were laid off for the year because of some rules and regulations that weren't even being made yet, but proposed to be made. And it caused that uncertainty in the business and the industry. Yep. And all of a sudden it's like, well, we don't have any work for six months. Yep. And this this bill, Senate Bill 159, has a piece in it about retraining 
oil and gas workers for other jobs. And I would just like to know what other jobs they're thinking are coming into Colorado that these these uh, workers could could take. When you have the regulations that we have, this nonstop regulatory environment, this is driving businesses out of Colorado. It is not encouraging businesses to relocate to Colorado. Our business competitiveness rankings have dropped in recent years since since COVID. And so when you're talking about retraining, what industry is coming into Colorado? What are we luring in here that's going to pay what these workers have been getting paid from oil and gas, even if they're paying less? What, name another industry that's that's you know clamoring to get into Colorado to retrain more than 100,000 workers. So it's really offensive uh, to me when I hear language like that. The employees that work in oil and gas want to keep the jobs they have, providing the energy that every single Coloradan uses every single day. Well, and so many, so often, and I know it's not with every single, um, every every single uh, company, but most of these, we're talking about union jobs, primary union jobs that um, are very protective of the workers, and um, they've worked uh, very hard to be a part of that industry, and we're hearing from them all the time how deeply concerned they are about this attack on energy production in Colorado. It's terrifying. So Sarah, I would also add, Sarah, sorry to interrupt. No, go ahead. Um, so there's that impact on on the on the worker, but then there's the impact on consumers and people who mm-hmm. are just been who've been getting crushed in Colorado with higher costs of living across the board that don't need to see their energy costs going up because of a law passed by state legislators. Uh, there's no reason for that. We don't have to have that happen in Colorado. This is an uninvited, you know, uh, problem. So, and and I know it's it's hard to look at it from the other perspective, but I've I've really tried very hard to understand why this keeps happening session after session and each session it's worse than the session before and we've seen so many times not only the the goal line moved um, but uh, a new regulation before um, you're able to implement the regulation that was previously um, set up how uh, and I, I find it difficult to, um, for to hear them try to rationalize this over and over again it's yeah. it's almost um to me, it's it's uh, an exercise in insanity, um, but it's belligerently harmful from where I'm sitting because I'm you know we're looking at this from um, your energy production, your food production, your water, all of those things come from rural, and it's more of a tack every year on that. How is it that they think if you were sitting in their seat, what do, what do you think? That, how do they rationalize this every yep. year? I think there's different groups that are coming after this from different angles. Uh, I think that some people are genuinely concerned about the climate, about the environment, and they want to see better. And they believe that we could just that we could go all renewables tomorrow, that we don't need oil and gas. So why are we doing it? And I think that they're they're really pure in their intent. A lot of those people. And I understand a lot of that. I, I value clean air and clean water too. everybody in our industry does. So I understand that. I also think there's just activist groups out there who are receiving a lot of money from outside of the state, inside the state, uh, who just want this product to never leave the ground. And it's become their jobs to make sure that they're talking about this, that they're making sure that this product never leaves the ground. And we're not having reasonable conversations in Colorado or anywhere in this country about Mm -hmm. where our energy comes from, how we can do it better, what we're going to need to survive 
in the future. And I try to have, you know, we, we had a conversation with the bill sponsors of this bill to explain how the, the electric, electricity grid works and that, you know, every, all the major utilities are filing their plans, their clean heat plans through 2050, and they all rely on natural gas. So why would we not want to get it from Colorado? It keeps prices low to not have to import it in. If we have to import it in, we have to build pipelines. When was the last time we had a major pipeline project come through here, right? That None of that makes sense. And then the fact that we're producing, you know, oil, you need that and other things for all the products, these, these headphones, this mm-hmm. microphone, our computers, our glasses, all these things, right? Just to understand that we're neat, we need it. Why would we get rid of it? And so I think there's a it's it's very frustrating because you're we're not having realistic conversations or conversations rooted in reality. What's really scary to me is every year it just as you said it just kind of ratchets up, right? This bill, Senate Bill One Fifty Nine, is like saying the the quiet parts out loud. Where we're right. actually saying we just want to get rid of it. Everything else is designed to get rid of it through regulations, and and it, and I don't think that they really truly care about the environment because they're not thinking through those implications, right? If you cared about the environment, you would say, hey, you guys need to get cleaner. You need to bring down your emissions by this much. Go do it. And that's what the governor did, frankly, last session with his directive to us to reduce our NOx emissions by a certain percentage by 2025, which he has acknowledged that we're ahead of the game on that right. and by 2030, which is going to be difficult. We got to do it by 50% by 2030. But it was a, hey, get cleaner, go go do it, right? Invest right. in technology, figure out how you're going to do it. That's that's what, how I think this should be approached. If you want us to get cleaner, let's have that conversation. If you're trying to get rid of us, you know, that's a different discussion. It's kind of like the uh, argument when you, you see it, and I, I saw it online, and so it must be true, but it was kind of like an <laughs> anti-ag argument, you know, like farmers and ranchers are evil. They're the biggest polluters, blah, 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 blah. They're like, well, where are you going to get your food? Well, I get organic food from Whole Foods or Sprouts, and that's where I will get my produce. And it's kind of like, you know, let's get rid of oil and gas drilling here in Colorado. Um, I get my gas from the gas station. Right. Yeah, it's that what what's behind the the light socket, the you know the wall socket, and trying to explain to people where that comes from. Agriculture is another great piece of this. When you look at not only the family farmer staying alive by leasing out their minerals and mm-hmm. getting that, you know, money from oil and gas. But what happened in the last couple of years? Uh, we had a, a, a supply problem for natural gas. Europe, primarily Germany, got off of fossil fuels way too quickly. Mm-hmm. They relied on renewables that couldn't meet their needs. And they relied on Russia, an aggressive country, mm-hmm. for their natural gas. Mm-hmm. Russia invades Ukraine. Natural gas gets cut off. They were going to go into a really bad winter, and U.S. LNG, liquefied natural gas exports, saved the continent of Europe last winter. But all of our prices went up because there was that supply shortage, right? And so they were spending a lot of paying a lot of money to get that gas there. Our prices went up. Our food prices went up because you don't have agriculture at the rates that we need it. You don't have food production at the rates we need it without nitrogen-fueled fertilizer. Mm -hmm. And, and there's only a couple of ways you can do that. Natural gas or potash mined in China. And so don't you want that to have natural gas from Colorado, from the United States? So when that those fertilizer prices went up mm-hmm. or food prices went up and right. you have to connect the dots for people so they understand this is an interconnected economy. Again, back to that point I made earlier. When you attack one piece of it, it has ripple effects across the economy. Yeah. Well, and I remember um, at about that same time, you, um, everyone in your industry was called in and screamed at and, and, and 
beat up on because how dare you let the prices of natural gas go up? <laughs> and it was it there was there was no way that any that anybody who was pointing their finger at you about prices would wrap their head around the exact thing you just described. I remember that happening last year at the same time as well. Yeah. Again, this is the frustrating part of all of this is that it requires those realistic, reasonable conversations that you just can't have in politics anymore. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some of this stuff doesn't fit on a bumper sticker. It's really hard to say it in 15 seconds or 20 seconds. And that's what people want. They want to hear, they kind of pick their sides. And that's, but that's why we need our elected leaders to do that, to be bigger than that, right? And to be adults. I often say we live in a world without adults. And that's it's a scary world to live in when people just aren't told, no, you can't do that, where there's not accountability for certain things, right? And to have those discussions that require all of us to put on our big girl and big boy pants and talk about how we get our energy and the trade-offs to it. Um, and this is goes beyond our industry, right? I mean, these are just discussions we're not having in across the country on a lot of really important issues. And what um what is the largest producer of oil and gas in Colorado? What county? Weld County produces about uh I want to say 90% of the oil in Colorado. They also produce a good chunk of the natural gas. And then on the western slope, Garfield County is a large dry natural gas producer, and there's other dry natural gas there as well, Rio Blanco. Moffitt, uh, a little bit in Mesa. Weld is the primary oil producer, and there's some in Adams County, Rappo County. So the DJ Basin really starts in Denver and extends well into Wyoming, so the, in the entire length of the northern front range. And then the Peons is the large, dry, natural gas-producing basin mm-hmm. down in the southwest. They're doing some natural gas and coal bed methane. So it's a, you know, the, the industry exists throughout the state. And what's uh, the area that one of the co-sponsors Priola represents. <laughs> Brighton and Weld County. It's, it's really fascinating. Uh, Weld County has come out against this, this measure. Mesa County passed a resolution yesterday coming out against this measure. Uh, you know, I don't know what constituents he's representing when he makes this and when he, you know, sponsors this bill and one other that we can talk about that he has sponsored. Um, he lives, I think, in Brighton, Henderson area, Adams County, but represents a huge portion of Weld County. He is not up for election this year. So maybe mm-hmm. he's emboldened emboldened by that. Uh, we asked him, you know, why are you running this? And his response was he's worried about mass extinction, mass extinction of species, I would guess, just mass extinction. Um, and he had also talked uh, to Ed Sealover, I think it was Ed Sealover with the Carter Chamber and said he's developed a cough in recent weeks and months that he thinks mm-hmm. is oil and gas related. So he's going to try to put an entire industry out of work because uh, he's developed a cough. Um, did did he indicate when he said that uh, his his concern was a mass extinction? Did he indicate how this bill would prevent mass extinction? Yeah, we talked about that a little bit. He he said it would get Colorado in line with other countries that are also doing this. We asked him what other countries are doing it. We don't believe any are, and he mentioned Qatar or Qatar. Um, and I just this week, Cutter had basically said that they're not doing any of the things that they said they're going to be doing. Mm-hmm. So, again, we shouldn't be looking to places in the Middle East to produce our energy. They do not have the same energy or same environmental standards, same labor standards, same human rights standards that we have in this country or certainly in in Colorado. So I think, you know, again, just being a little uh I don't know what the word is there, uh, not understanding essentially what's going on. So 
uh, we talked about the environmental impacts. I tried to explain how I thought it would be bad to import oil and gas from other states and how that would be a negative on the on the uh, environment. But this kind of stuff happens everywhere. It's really frustrating. Uh, the uh, country of England has exported wood from the United States to burn for power. Mm-hmm. And in just in the last, you know, five, six years, because they don't want to have fracking in, in their country. So they would rather ship wood pellets from trees that were knocked down in the United States, shipped across the half the globe, and then burned for power in their country. Um, you know, we talk a lot about energy transitions. And I, I talked earlier about people believing we can just all go to renewables. We've never, humanity's really never had an energy transition. We don't use whale oil anymore, but other than that, we're still using all of the other energy sources we've always used. As I said, people are still burning wood for power, wood, wood for heat, including giant countries like England. Um, is that so, is that better on the environment and the no, ozone? No, 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 no. no. Okay. What, I, wood I'm burning so confused. is, I, I was trying yeah. to look for it, but like actual wood burning is the cause of more, um, diseases and issues in children under the age of 18 in the world than anywhere than anything else. Yeah. It's not a, it's not an environmental solution at all. And uh, I saw some, a story a couple years back and obviously I can't recall it perfectly, but people can Google it, but Boulder County had one of the highest pollution rates in the country because of all the people burning wood in, yeah. you know, outside of Boulder in the mountains there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, again, they're, they want to ban, Fossil fuels want to ban oil and gas, yet they're polluting at a great rate because they're burning wood. So my point being, we're adding 3 billion people to the planet. We need all energy sources mm-hmm. here, right? We need nuclear. Mm-hmm. We need renewables. Mm-hmm. We need oil and natural gas. Uh, we need hydro. We need everything. We shouldn't be eliminating anything because we never have eliminated anything. We just add more to the mix so we can all survive and thrive. Well, and if we're doing it better than anybody else, if we're more environmentally conscious and responsible in the energy production than anybody else, I think we could probably um, set the example of how it should be done. If we embrace that and own that we're that we're doing that, rather than trying to eliminate industries for, um, I mean, I, it, if you're worried about mass extinction, why would you push that off onto somebody else that? doesn't have those kinds of um safeguards. doesn't have that kind of safeguards or yep. the integrity yep. in the production. So I, I would note that Colorado produces less than one quarter of one percentage point of global greenhouse gas emissions. It's something like zero point two one three. I've looked that up and that's effect. that sounds yeah. right. Yeah. So should we continue to reduce our emissions in Colorado? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Are we going to solve the world's problems from Colorado? And there are a few other bills that you were going to bring up. What else do we have coming down the pipeline? Sure. So, um, no pun intended. Pun intended. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, pun intended. Let's, pun intended. Let's leave the, pun yeah, the pipeline. Yeah. So, Weld County's favorite senator, Kevin Priola, has another bill uh, that is yet to be introduced, but we did uh, uh, hear about it on a call um, that I'm calling the California catch-all bill because it includes a lot of provisions that lead us straight down the path of California, which, as I outlined earlier, we do not need to go down in Colorado. We can have the economy that we want, the environment that we need, the energy that we need here in in this state. Uh, It would do several things. One, it would stop oil and gas uh, production and, and then hydraulic fracturing in summer months from May to September because of the ozone issue in Colorado unless you have an electric drilling rig, which we can talk about. Uh, but it, so it pauses business development. I'm mm-hmm. not sure 
you know, maybe politicians can take the summer off, but most other businesses can't. They need yeah. to be working year round in order to make it work and to make right. investment work in infrastructure. Uh, so that's a concern. Um, it codifies Governor Polis's um, nitrogen oxide emissions, the NOx emissions that I talked about into law, which I think is fine. We're already working to achieve those uh, under his directive. It gets rid of gas-powered vehicles by 2035, says no, all new vehicles sold in Colorado by 2035 need to be zero emission cars and trucks. On that call, somebody asked, well, can't people just go to Wyoming and Utah to buy a car? And one of the activists who runs the call. So this is how this works nowadays. The lawmakers say, hey, we have a new bill. We want to tell you about it. Hop on this giant Zoom call. You get on the Zoom call and they go, Mm -hmm. hey, here's an activist group to tell you about the bill. They don't know anything about their bill. They don't know what's in it. Right. And so a woman, I don't remember her name right now. I don't know if this was recorded or not, but basically said you won't be able to register that vehicle in in Colorado if you buy it out of state, a gas-powered vehicle. So that sets up all sorts of crazy thoughts in my mind about you're going to have a million plus cars on 2035 that you can't register in Colorado because they take gasoline. Um, so what do you do with a million plus cars? Are they just in a big junk pile or do you have people from other states come buy them and put them on trailers and take them out of the state? If you're moving to Colorado in 2035 and can't register your gas barb card, you just park it at the border, grab your stuff and walk in to, <laughs> to Colorado. I mean, this is insanity. That you won't be able to register a gas-powered vehicle in 2035 in Colorado. I have not seen that in the bill. This is based on the stakeholder call that we had. Uh, it creates new rules to limit emissions from indirect sources like warehouses and retail centers that attract gas-burning vehicles. Um, it directs the Colorado Department of Transportation by 2025, so next year, to establish a program to reduce vehicle miles traveled, which Senator Perillo said would have to go beyond the previously failed efforts to cut single occupancy vehicle trips to large employment sites. If you remember that came up last that year. That was last year. Before. We were, no, it was last year because we had you yeah. on the show right. and we caught, we caught a bit of heat for um, putting that out there. I was really, really upset with that one. I'll do you one better. That came up in 2008, 2007 as well, that they were going to put a mileage tax on vehicles driven. And then if you went over a certain number, it was the governor's blue ribbon panel yeah. on mileage BMPs. reduction. Yeah. And everybody lost their mind just doing the economic impact of how much somebody in rural Colorado would have to oh pay. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And, and again, so let's have a realistic conversation. If you're going to add more EVs to the road, which that's the governor's directive, they're not paying the gas tax, which pays for roads, mm-hmm. yet they're, yet they're using roads. So how do we recover some of those costs? Maybe it is a vehicle miles travel. I don't know. They're going after broadband. That's what they're doing. But when when you do stuff like this, now all of a sudden you're limiting people's choices. You're limiting people's freedom. The the single mom can no longer take her kid to soccer because she only makes one trip wherever she's going, right? She's got to be on a bus. That was what they were talking about last year. I don't know what will come out of this, but they're bringing that whole discussion back again. And I, I, I worry this is outside of my scope as the head of COGA, but as a Coloradan, I want people to be able to get a job, to, to live in Arvada and get a really great job in Aurora and drive there. And now they can provide more for their family, right? And they don't have to worry mm-hmm. about paying the bills because they got a really great job, but it's not on their bus line. It's not on their light rail line. So now they're going to be limited by what's on their bus line, what's on their light rail line. What are we doing? It doesn't make any sense to me. It's 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 limiting people's choices and options and, and freedoms. And that's not what we ought to be about in Colorado. So all of that is jammed into this bill. Wow. Our concern is largely this this summertime drilling ban. Yeah. So they say you can you can drill if you have an electric rig. 
our operators are investing millions of dollars in technology to get cleaner, greener, better. Electric drilling rigs are coming into the basin and they eliminate the sort of source emissions from the rig, right? But they're plugged into something, essentially plugged in, right? Maybe it's a coal plant. Is that emissions that we're just moving now? Again, punting environmental issues, playing a shell game. But getting an electric rig into the basin requires, uh, one, money, but also investment. People need to know we're doing this in Colorado, right? That this is something we're going to be doing over the long term. And so capital is going to come into the state. That new technology is going to come into the state. But we've run bills saying we're going to ban industry and begin curtailing permits in 2027, 2028. You're not going to get that investment. You're not going to get that technology. So are you really trying to solve environmental issues or are you really trying to attack the oil and gas industry? Well, it'll make it nicer outside to, you know, during the summer out, like, days to go visit my favorite hiking spot that I won't be allowed to drive to. No, you won't be able to drive to it. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's super frustrating. Um, and so this is, is coming. I think it will, you know, generate some controversy uh, when it does. And again, this idea of not being able to, you know, have a gas powered vehicle, this is something that goes beyond what governor Polis asked for. There was a rulemaking last year to deal with this. And they said, no, we're not doing this. The state said, no, we're not doing this. So this is the people who lost getting angry and asking the legislature to do the, to do this work for them. Not unlike what we're talking about on oil and gas, where we, you know, people keep asking me like, well, what does the governor think of this? I believe if the governor wanted to ban our industry, he could have done it five years ago. Yeah. You know, and he doesn't. And he, he wants doesn't. Us to so exist. then the environmentalists are going to do worse than he's done so he sets the so he sets a benchmark and they're like well that wasn't extreme enough so wasn't we enough. need to yep. so that's yeah. just a baseline and we're going to go way 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 beyond that the that dot on the horizon is is the is the point of um yep. that we want to get to um and we've seen it over and over and over again the last few years um so what do you what help can we give you on um i mean we're going to get the word out for you as as best we can um what what's going to make the difference on any of this sure um it's really reaching out to your legislators and sharing this information with your friends and family word of mouth is so important mm-hmm. and uh so i'll give you two two different things one if your listeners could go to koga.org coga.org forward slash take action there are tools there to reach out to your legislators we've got information about this ban bill senate bill 159 reach out to them tell them you don't want to ban this industry in colorado for all the reasons that we've talked about we got a lot of other information there that you can use and then the other piece of that is to have conversations with people again we can have these reasonable conversations one at a time. I'm willing to talk to anybody about energy in Colorado that will will talk to me about it. And I think we all should feel empowered to do that and to understand we're not going to all renewables tomorrow. There is no replacement product for the things that create your clothing, your eyeglasses, your phone, your you know everything that we do. Even an EV requires massive amounts of natural gas and oil. In fact, EVs are have more plastic in them because the batteries are so heavy mm-hmm. that they need the rest of the car to be lighter. So they need massive amounts of natural gas and oil. So that's not we're not going away from this resource. So if we're not going away, how do we produce it cleaner, better, safer here in Colorado under these tight environmental standards and in places where we're investing in that innovation and technology? 
And I think if we can just have those conversations with people and set realistic expectations, we'll be better off as a state than doing what is happening at the state house, which is where politics sort of come into play and mm-hmm. people are not not having those realistic conversations and they're looking to tally wins that really end up the Coloradans end up being the loser. That's right. That's absolutely right. Um, So we will send this out to our listeners. Um, We'll put it in our email blast, um, koga.org forward slash take action. That's it. Uh, And you can go to our website. There's other information. We have fact sheets there that have a lot of details on the things that we talked about. Uh, and I think, you know, people want to spend time there. That's great. If anybody would like us to come out and talk to their groups or anything else, we're willing to do that as well. Again, we'll do this one conversation at a time if we have to. I appreciate that. Um, so is there anything coming up that, uh, that you guys are doing that we need to be paying attention to, or would you be willing to come back as soon as we get some of these other bills? Um, as soon as those drop. Absolutely. Be happy to come back. If you don't mind, I'll mention one other bill that we know yes, is, is coming. Please. Um, it is from Representatives Bacon and Wilford and Senator Cutter. And it is a remake of last year's House Bill 1294, which made it very difficult mm-hmm. to permit anything in Colorado. That is coming back. Uh, we think many of the same issues we know many of the same issues we had with it last year, we will mm-hmm. have with it again this year. And it really just creates a very a tangle, a permitting tangle that chokes back uh, the ability to move forward with oil and gas projects in Colorado. We have been talking with the, those sponsors, uh, trying to provide feedback to them. Again, this is all under this idea that we're not meeting our ozone standard in Colorado. We haven't talked about that at all. Um, and it's important to know that our ozone standard is tightening. The federal government is tightening the ozone standard. We had to meet a 75 parts per billion standard a few years back. Now it's 70. Just getting up in Colorado on a regular day, if nobody does anything, if nobody even, if every Colorado disappears tomorrow, we're very close to not meeting that 70 parts per billion standard wow. based on what's naturally occurring and what blows in from other and states. And what blows in from other that. states. Can yeah, we, will you talk that about that for just a yeah. second? Because this is one of the things that really, really frustrated me um, last year when we talk about ozone and we talk about those standards. Um, those standards don't uh, take into account what blows in from other states or either, even from other countries. So can you talk a little bit about that? It's exactly right. And a lot of that is coming in from California mm-hmm. and a lot of it is coming in from China. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it's naturally occurring. Dead and dying trees provide a lot of that ozone. When you go up in the mountains, you smell that pine smell. That's ozone. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're not going to cut down a bunch of trees to, to meet that standard. Right. Right. So um, so you have to at least account for that. And so what it, what happens instead is we're not meeting that standard. And so they go after the oil and gas industry. According to state monitors, we've got all this data on our website as well. We're, we account for about 3 to 8% on any given day of the ozone issue in Colorado. We have brought down our precursor emissions, the things that we don't create ozone. We, we have emissions that eventually combine with sunlight to create ozone. We have brought those emissions down. So we're about 3 to 8% on any given day of the ozone issue. Transportation is a big one. Mm-hmm. Lawn and leaf uh, equipment is another huge one. And that can really move the needle. The state is, you know, looking at that, banning lawn and leaf, and everybody laughs about it. Uh, and I understand. But it, it it's a huge source of emissions and, and ozone. 
We remember the lawn, the lawn, the lawnmower lawnmower bill. bill. Yeah. Yes. And so that some of that is back. I think the state just approved rules this week that says governments can't buy uh, gas powered lawn and leaf equipment. They have to use um, (laughs) uh, electric. Oh, my gosh. And and again, if you're going to have a reasonable conversation about this, um, I think what you'd find is I so I bought a electric leaf blower and it's really cool. You just turn, you just hit the button and it starts blowing. Right. But it dies after about 20 minutes. Right. So then I bought another battery, which is expensive. And I got two batteries and I still can't get all the leaves out of my yard because I live in a cul-de-sac and everything blows into my yard. Every, every tree in the neighborhood hits my yard. So then I got to fire up the, the gas powered one. Right. But anyway, so if you have that conversation, you'd understand that, but think about a municipality. And if there is a natural disaster, Trees have knocked down power lines. They're right. blocking roads. We need to clear to get people freed out to open neighborhoods, and everything dies because and there's no power mm-hmm. to, to charge to that. charge the stuff. Yeah, what are we? Gonna, it doesn't make any sense. If you want to encourage people to use that, you want to provide incentives. I think that's you know the way to go. But you, but need it's to not have realistic to still have it. It's not realistic to be all electric, especially if there's no power in a natural disaster. I think one good way to demonstrate the ozone blowing into Colorado is anytime there's a fire in California, Canada, mm-hmm. basically anywhere, you know, outside of Colorado, where does the smoke go? Utah, it comes to Idaho, Colorado. Wyoming. Yep. And if, if you look at that windy app, you'll see that directly. And you saw yeah. that last summer. Yep. Yep. Uh, the Canadian wildfires were, yep. were coming mm-hmm. down and we were we were blowing through those ozone targets every single time. Yeah. And under previous administrations, they would account for that. And put in these, you know, filings that say, but for right. smoke, we would have met the, the emissions. And that's kind of where we need to get now, where you're understanding that and saying that. Uh, Governor Polis a few years back said, well, we're not going to kick the can down the road anymore. We're not going to do that. We need to bring our emissions down. Hickenlooper would, under his administration, do this. I, it's, I can't remember what the, the form is called, but it basically says, but for those emissions that came in from out of state, naturally occurring, we'd meet the ozone standard. So, And now we're going to be, after, res- yeah, we're responsible for other countries. We're responsible for other states. Yeah. And it's right. it's landing in Colorado. Those other countries, not defending them, but they're building all of our stuff for us. Yeah. Right. So we're kind of our own problem on, on both sides of the steel. Well, it's sort of like um, it's sort of a, a reiteration of the our water issue. Um, no water flows into Colorado, but we're responsible for all the water to make sure everybody around us has the water that they need um, in other states when they're, you know, and we have no we have no way to regulate how they use their water, but we're responsible. Right. It's the same exact idea that um, for some reason uh, it's okay with our leaders and legislators that um, – Colorado, Coloradans bear the responsibility of the whole damn world. Can't flood irrigate in Colorado, but California sure can. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> it's amazing. It's amazing. I, I, I hope for a day when our, when our leaders in Colorado make Coloradans the priority, I guess is, is my hope um, with all of that. And, so, and, and, and understand the, the strain that people are under. That's what's really shocking to me is that, you know, we had this record high inflation and mm-hmm. that has come down, but prices are still really high. And so why would you invite problems? Why would you try to raise people's energy costs? And, you know, a lot of people who are affluent, they'll they'll just pay the extra, right? Yeah. There's a lot of people in Colorado who are struggling right now with whether or not they're going to buy food, prescriptions, 
pay their heating bill. That's exactly those right. Those are the people that will will bear the brunt of these decisions. And I just don't understand how people can can do that and not think about that. Well, it's I mean, it's it goes back to the original argument. It's out of sight, out of mind, right? If you're not living that lifestyle and that's not going to impact you that way, you don't think about it and you don't see yeah. it. I, that's why I wholly encourage our, our legislators to get out in the communities. You know, we we joked about there should be some sort of bill passed or regulation saying that if you're going to write legislation or introduce a bill that directly impacts an agency or industry, you have to spend two weeks working in that industry to see what it actually is and how it impacts it. Yep. And if you're a, a, a metro Denver legislator, get out state, get out into the rural areas and see what's happening out there and vice versa. Rural legislators yeah. come. I mean, they, I mean, they come, I guess they come down down uh, to work. But, you know, see what because it, it's impacting the entire state. Get out there. We invite people to come out on, on rig tours. And we do get some Democrats who are anti oil and gas that come out and I give them a lot of credit. That's their job. Right. To come out and be educated and see what they're regulating. We had some that have no interest, yet yeah. they're always willing to, you know, to pass the bill. Yep. No, I agree. Well, Dan, we appreciate you so much and all the great work you're doing. We know um, that you're a great partner in, in trying to um, keep Colorado, Colorado for Coloradans. And, and um, it's, it's really important work. So we want to encourage you um, and just appreciate you and acknowledge that you're doing all that you're doing. Um I don't think I had anything else. Did you, Brian? Yeah, real quick. Um, Academy nominations are oh. up. I say Academy nominations, but <laughs> Academy applications. I worked so many years doing um, service Academy nominations. I get it mixed up, but uh, just email me at brian at actioncolorado.org if you're interested in attending our Academy. The cutoff date is mid-March, I think March 15th, and I could give you all the information on that. Um, the views and opinions expressed on, expressed on making action happen do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of Action Colorado, its board, or its membership, although I'm pretty sure everybody that is a member would agree with what we talked about today. And I think that's it. Email us if you have any questions, comments, concerns, just brian at makingactionhappen.com. And that academy is our Leadership Policy and Governance Academy. We yep. did that last year. It's a very high-level academy for leaders or, or people who um, are wanting to understand Colorado's legislative process, the Colorado fiscal policy, yep. um, all of those things that we, uh, especially in uh, those places outside the Denver metro area, don't necessarily have access to the kind of training and information in order to navigate all of these really important decisions that uh, they're going to be called on to make. Um, so we... Uh, Chad Vorthman, I know you're listening, um, especially because you're a good friend of Dan Haley's. Um, however, we're not sure what you look like anymore. So um, I think it's time for you to get out there and, and to see a few of us um, sometime soon. Dan can't even remember. Dan's nodding his head. He can't right. remember what you look like either. So Don't you, be a stranger, Chad. Come on. Yeah, come on, Chad. What the heck? He's flying around in like all the UFOs. That I know. They own up the I know. Rockets. I know. Yeah. He's, rockets he's, and UFOs. That's where he's at right now. So, all right, guys, thank you so much. We'll see you on the next episode of Making Action Happen. Thanks. Thank you for tuning in to Making Action Happen. Be sure to join your hosts, Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain, for another edition of the show on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.